There's not a day goes by that I'm not in Korea or Vietnam. Not a day. And the guys that I had lost in, in both. I'm back there every day. I live a good life. Great wife, kids. Nothing to complain about. And I do it again. From the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, this is Byline. A show about one newspaper's most fascinating stories and the people who tell them. I'm Andrew Jones. I'm K.O. Wilk, and this week's episode focuses on our hometown heroes, veterans. We'll bring you the accounts of those who served. Sometimes a shell would land right on someone. That was devastating because they just disintegrated in front of you. And we'll talk to a reporter who has a close and important connection to the stories he tells. It's been called the Forgotten War. My father fought in this war. And I never really got to hear his stories. Doug Ross was up pretty late covering the 2016 presidential election. I went to bed a little after 4 and got up at 6.30. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's you're what you do. You're insane. How many yeah. cups of coffee you this? But at almost uh, the same time, he was getting ready for Veterans Day writing stories about interviews he'd been conducting leading up to November 11th. Doug has worked in newspapers in northwest Indiana for over 35 years, and at the Times for 28 of those years. Long enough to remember the days of Stop the Press at the Vedette in Valparaiso. in Valparaiso. I can remember uh, running into the uh, press room and yelling, Stop the Presses, because uh, we were an afternoon paper at the time, and the uh, space shuttle had just blown up. And with a few of his own stories to tell, from those years of reporting. Two boys left home and they decided they wanted to be captains of boats on Lake Michigan. So so the boys run away from home, end up in Chicago of all places, and uh, they're trying to become crew members on a ship. Well, you know, 10-year-old... But when we sat down with him, we wanted to talk to him about veterans. We knew that Doug had already combed through the area and talked to a dozen or so vets in their homes, listening to and gathering their stories. But what we didn't know was Doug's own relationship with veterans. See, Korea has been called the Forgotten War. My father fought in this war. And I never really got to hear his stories because he didn't tell him. And that means Doug has more than a reporter's investment in this topic. Doug called the Korean War the Forgotten War. And so the least we can do here is help remember it. So we'll tell a little bit of Doug's family story. But first, let's talk a little bit more about this area's relationship with the men and women who have served our country. In our interview, Doug gave us a surprising fact. In World War II, roughly 10% of the population of Valparaiso went off to fight in the war. That is amazing stuff. Which, just from that, makes it clear that a significant portion of the population in each of the region's towns has had some tie to the different conflicts in the past, both far and recent. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, there were close to 19 million veterans living in the country last year. A little over 9 million were age 65 and older, and 1.5 million were under 35. Numbers vary on who served when and where, but a little over 80,000 served during three wartime periods. 
In Indiana, there's around 440,000 veterans, according to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Taken down to a county-by-county level, there's around 30,000 in Lake, 13,000 in Porter, and 10,000 in LaPorte. With population estimates of those counties from the U.S. Census Bureau, around 7% of Northwest Indiana's people are veterans. It's a large amount to consider that have, at one point, performed some form of military service, whether during a conflict or not. And there's lots of people it could be, from your family or neighborhood, from grandparents and parents to children. Depending on the time period that a certain conflict occurred, there's profound effects that wars have had on the U.S. They really have had a hand in shaping communities during the time periods they happen. So the women, you know, had to go, you know, find work in the factories to be able to take jobs that men would have had. Um, you know, I, one of the women I interviewed, for instance, uh, uh, washed the tanks after they were manufactured in Hegwish uh, to be able to uh, uh, get them ready for the men and all that. And, and frankly, she needed to eat. And so she, she had that as her job. Um, and things were rationed back then. I mean, you don't think about it right now because you can go out and you can buy anything you want off the shelf. That wasn't the case back then. I mean, you know, you had to have coupons to be able to buy gasoline. You know, often they were working 12-hour shifts here. So um, it, was, it was rough. It was really rough. And you never knew when you were going to get that telegram. It gives you the bad news. You never knew when you would see the two men show up in uniform on your doorstep. I mean, you never wanted to see that because that was going to tell you that you're going to be a gold star family, that somebody had died. As we talked to Doug, we heard story after story of men who put themselves on the line for their country. But we wanted to know as much as we could about the veteran who mattered most to Doug. Um, he he died, unfortunately, um, uh, 24 years ago, and I never got a chance to, to ask him. Well, frankly, I had the chance, but I never took the chance to ask him about it. Not that he probably would have told me anyway, but uh, I learned later from my mother, you know, while I was doing this, I'm telling her all these stories. And so she tells me what my father went through. And... I, and my father talked to one of my brothers about it, and so, you know, piecing all of that together, I can tell this about him. Well, he, he was kind of a hellion when he was younger, and so at age 16, he uh, signs up for the Army. You can't do that now, but he did that then. And so he signed up for the Army and uh, uh, got shipped off to Korea, and he was in the 1st Cavalry Union. Now. So he goes up there with the first Marines, and then that's at the very start of the war, and they're north of the 38th parallel, and then the Chinese pour over the border. So these uh, uh, American GIs who are there get cut off from their supply lines. They push too far, too fast. They really had a tough time of it. Now my dad, suffered from malnutrition. They lived on rice and millet. You know what millet is? That's bird seed. So um, they ate like birds, literally. And then occasionally one of the uh, villagers would catch a rat for the guys to eat so that they would have some protein. Um, Really horrible story. Um, Dad lost his teeth because of that. Now, you know, I didn't realize, you know, when I was a kid, he'd you know, he'd say, go brush your teeth, you know, I don't want to go brush my teeth, like every kid does, right? 
and uh, and then every now and then he'd take his false teeth out and hand them to me and say, go brush mine too. And then my mother would be horrified and all of this stuff. Um, but uh, uh, I, I, you know, found out about this. The men just don't tell unless they're really, really prompted. And often they won't tell their families. So, so we, you know, as journalists, we try to get them to talk about it and, and uh, save that very valuable history. How do you choose which story to tell out of the millions out there? Each man in each war has a handful of them. As we sat and talked with Doug, we got the sense that as a collector and teller of stories, he could go on well into the evening. And were it not for our individual routines, we could have listened. Listening is important. And even though we weren't sitting with the servicemen that Doug had interviewed, we almost felt like we were. The stories were being passed on. That's a bit of advice that Doug passed on to us. These are people who really um, have great stories to tell. Man, you get these guys talking and you'll learn a lot. You'll really be humbled and you'll make them feel like somebody actually cares about them. Because frankly, you do. As Andrew noted earlier, Doug has a plethora of stories he can share. Not only does he have stories on NWI.com, but there's videos he's recorded of people telling their stories that are on his YouTube channel, which can be accessed at youtube.com slash DougRoss101. We've included some here for you to listen to, such as Leroy Sykes, who served in World War II. I joined the Navy in 1940. I left Norfolk, Virginia, train went to Washington, D.C., and I left there and went to Pearl Harbor. Well, the ship around there, my ship got sprayed, but it didn't get hit. The battleships out there, they got settled. You could see them smoke. On my ship at that time, didn't no one get hurt. One or two had a heart attack. Some of the motors had a heart attack. Other than that, me and two more white boys, it was fun to us. We didn't know no better. But as time went on, I began to realize what I went through, and I look back to this day, I'm really proud. I, now, I don't look at Pearl Harbor. December 7th, I don't look at it. I don't, I turn favor, I see the peace, I turn away from it. John Leisky, who served in Korea. When I first, first got on into service, I came into Korea right close, maybe the last three months of the war, and I got sent up to the... Uh, front line with the 45th Division, and uh, for the first day on since I got up there, it was just combat, combat, combat. They were attacking us day and night, and they were shelling us day and night, and of course we were doing the same to them. <clears throat> but the uh, worst part was you didn't know where the shells were falling because, you know, they were just dropping like rain, and you could be, you always huddled close together, not together, but close, and <clears throat> sometimes a shell would land right on someone. That was devastating because they just dis disintegrated in front of you. If they landed, the shell landed beside them or behind you or something, you could get shrapnel, you get a lot of dirt in your face and so on. But the, uh, it really, Devastating ones was when you're sitting there talking to somebody or at least looking at them and giving them directions to do 
and the shell lands. Sometimes it hit them on the shoulder and blow them apart. Sometimes it hit them right on. It depends how big it was. If it was a small mortar, it would blow them up a little bit. But if it was a big howitzer type shells, when they landed, they just, they were gone. They were disappearing in the thin air. And Jeff Myers, who served in Vietnam. Yes, most of the booby traps we encountered were they're actually our own type of grenades. Uh, the enemy would get a hold of them somehow, even buy them on the black market, and they would they would run a trip wire from uh, the the pin on the grenade. They'd fasten a grenade on the ground, and then they'd run the wire to across the road or the path to uh, like a tree and wire it. And maybe it was about six inches high. And if you're walking and you didn't observe it, you would trip the wire. And when the, you trip the wire, pull out the pin, and the grenade would go off. Other booby traps were our own unexploded like artillery shells that they'd find and they'd, they'd uh, booby trap them and, uh, uh, we, you know, get killed and wounded by our own type of booby traps, our uh, own shells. And other type of booby traps were the types they made, they were called punji pits. They were like bamboo stakes. They sharpened and sometimes they rubbed with uh, either human or animal manure on, put them in a pit and covered it and then you would step on them, you'd go down and you'd, uh, they would you know, stab you in the lake or uh, cause awful cuts and everything. And it would get infected if you didn't have it treated right away. And finally, there's Elliot Sartillo, a man who Doug told us about and whose attitude sums up everything that Doug explained to us about the brave men who told their amazing stories. There's not a day goes by that I'm not in Korea or Vietnam. Not a day. and the guys that I had lost in, in both. I'm back there every day. I live a good life. Great wife, kids, nothing to complain about. And I do it again. The feeling that you get when you listen to these vet stories is indescribable. It's pride for your country, and sorrow, and hope, and love, and humor all mixed up. Of course, the men who lived these experiences will never forget them, but in a way, neither should we. Doug made that very clear when we asked him about how newspapers play an important role in making sure that the stories of these remarkable men and women get the ears and eyes they deserve. And so now we're in that role at the Times and the other newspapers, the other media, of being able to tell the stories of daily life, of past life, of uh, potential future life. So this is this is the sort of thing that we do. And that's really our role, is making sure that these memories don't disappear. You know, you, you have the quote about, um, uh, you know, those who, who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And uh, um, it's true. And so, you know, this is one of the, you know, in my role, this is one of the fun things about going back into the microfilm is I'm, you know, kind of acting as a time traveler to go back into a different time and make sure that those stories are still remembered, that they're not just chronicled. But the newspaper isn't the only medium that should be telling these stories. If there's anything that we can learn from veterans, from Doug's story, from the fact that we set aside a day to honor those who have served so valiantly, it's that you and I should treat every day as a day to pass on these stories. Because if we don't, who will? We're in that role now.
Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. New episodes are out every Monday, and they can all be found at nwi.com slash podcasts. You can also find Byline on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All you've got to do is type in NWI Byline in the search bar, and we should pop up. Also, if you've got a media player and want to download our episodes and listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave us a review because it actually really helps. And we like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you're interested in hearing more about. Just drop us an email at nwibyline at gmail.com. Thanks this week to Doug Ross, who, along with Cale Wilk and I, Andrew Jones, reported this week's story. Doug spent time in the homes and presence of the vets who you heard in this piece, and we really encourage you to go to nwi.com history to watch the videos and read the stories he told about the veterans in this area. Also, please check out Doug's blog at nwi.com blogs slash nwi-history, where you can learn more than you ever imagined about the region's fascinating history and the legacy of the people who have made it. Finally, thanks to Summer Moore, the creator of this show and the Times Digital and Audience Engagement Editor, who is our model for working tirelessly to create amazing content every week. I'm K.O. Wilk. I'm Andrew Jones. Thank you so much for listening to Byline, and have a great week.